0: PowerPoints are helpful to a certain extent. You can put up on a screen like that my API is doing XYZ and my AIML model is doing a certain type of calculation. But until you can help people kind of get their hands on it or really tangibly understand the technology, it's very hard, if not impossible, to make good policy. Because if you fundamentally don't understand the technology, it's going to lead to really bad regulatory outcomes. Making sure government doesn't screw things up.
1: My name is Julie Brahage Greenberg, and I am the co-founder of FinTech Today.
2: And I'm John Pitts, global head of policy at Plaid.
1: And this is the Policy Podcast, where we dive into all things FinTech policy,
2: or as much as we can cover in 20 minutes. And in today's episode, we are very happy to have as our guest uh, Daniel Gorfine. Uh He is the. Uh, first Chief Innovation Officer and Director of Lab CFTC, or rather he was, he uh, created that office within the Commodities Futures Trading Commission, um, and is now the founder of Gattaca Horizons, a boutique advisory firm uh, that works on fintech policy issues. He's also an adjunct professor at Georgetown University School of Law, uh, was formerly at the Milken Institute, uh, was external affairs and associate general counsel Uh, at On Deck, where he spearheaded efforts to create a new industry trade association and business standards. So, uh, Dan, you've kind of done everything in the
0: regulatory law and uh, fintech space. How
1: does Dan even have time to come on this podcast?
0: You know, you know, well, first of all, awesome to join you guys. Um, It's been really fun. You know, like it's been uh, 10 plus years now that I've been involved in this uh, so-called fintech space and I say that because 10 years ago, if you said fintech, no one really knew what you were talking about. And today, everything and everybody is a fintech. Um, but it's been a, it's been a great go, and it's been really exciting to see this space develop and just the impact it's had and the number of really great people that I've gotten to interact with, including, including you guys. So glad to join you.
1: Well, I'm interacting with you for the first time today, so we'll see what your review is of me afterwards. You know, I
0: was trying to figure out how I was going to word that. You know, I'm I'm like talking to John. I'm like, well, I assume you must be cool because, you know, you're part of this conversation
1: too. That's true. That's not
2: normally the the way the assumptions run when it's people who know someone through me. I'm cool by association.
1: I'm cool by association. Um, well, th- it is great to talk with you, Dan. Um, we there were a few things that we wanted to dive into and we only have 20 minutes, so we'll try to get to all of them. If we don't, we'll just going to have to have you back again another time. So one thing that I didn't know about you until um, John and I started talking about um, what we wanted to, to ask you is that you set up one of the very first innovation labs from um, a like a regulatory standpoint. And I feel like anyone setting up one now, there's not too much pushback. But I can imagine when you're trying to convince people to set up that first one, I believe it was at the CFTC, um, there might not have been everyone just right on board right away. Talk to me a little bit about that experience.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So, so, look, I will say this. I think that uh, Lab CFTC was definitely a first in many ways, but it's also true that there were a number of other really good efforts that had started already in the U.S., and we certainly learned from some of those. You had the CFPB had its uh, innovation program that was uh, started a few years prior. Uh, the OCC created the Office of Innovation that Beth Knickerbocker has been leading for a number of years now. Um, so there was already some groundwork. You had the UK uh, Financial Conduct Authority that had created their Innovate program, and I think many regulators around the world learned from that. Um, but with all that being said, the CFTC was a really unique place, and I'd say that for, for two reasons. One, the CFTC has always regulated very forward-leaning uh, industries, technologies, um, and so has had to be at the forefront of innovation and technology. So I think it made it like perfectly situated to do something like Lab CFTC, The second thing is that we had excellent leadership. So, you know, former chairman Chris Giancarlo um, was a huge proponent of creating something like a Lab CFTC, And that was a really top priority for him. And I will say it helps a lot when you have the backing of a chairman of an agency and leadership that really supports it from the top. Um, We also had another commissioner, Sharon Bowen. So this was like a bipartisan effort, which, you know, in this day and age in Washington, it seems rare, but it was really nice that this was a bipartisan commission effort to create lab CFTC. So when you have leadership like that, that's like minded, recognizes the benefits of creating, you know, a forward leaning innovation office or program that can engage with all these new emerging stakeholders and technologists, um, that helps a lot. So a lot of excellent backing. It made it really kind of nice for me to come in and be able to help build and stand something up and uh, and, and hopefully become a bit of a model or a blueprint for how others have, have subsequently engaged.
2: Yeah. I was going to ask about that, Dan, because while you all were maybe not the first to come up with the idea, you were very early on in the process. And it now feels like every agency has to have an office of innovation. And I wonder sort of as you helped stand up uh, Lab CFTC, how did the rest of the ecosystem react to what you were doing, right? How did other reg- regulators react? And I guess more uh, importantly, how did the companies that were under CFTC's jurisdiction react to having this innovation office as something for them to interact with?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So I think... You know, I think it does foster some degree of its collaboration and some healthy kind of competition between agencies, right? Like every agency wants to show that they're on top of things and kind of moving the needle and pushing forward. So the SEC kind of very soon after uh, we had launched Lab CFTC, they created FinHub, um, which is an excellent program. And that's one that's run by uh, Val Stepanik over at the SEC. So I thought it was really great to have a counterpart um, at the other kind of major capital markets regulator. Um, so generally speaking, it, this is, I think, viewed very favorably. I think for every federal financial regulator to have an innovation officer program gave kind of a platform for like-minded individuals, kind of people who wanted to think about what are the new issues? What are the new opportunities? What are the new challenges that technology presents? It gave us kind of a, a set of, of, of comrades that you could actually work with. Um, So I think that that was really, really helpful. From an industry perspective, you know, I, I know, and John, I can kind of throw it back to you because you talk to many fintechs, but, you know, fintech companies, especially early stages, they struggle to navigate the alphabet soup of regulators in Washington, like even knowing who you're supposed to talk to, whose jurisdiction covers what, I mean, some of the stuff that I think in Washington that we, we assume that everybody knows, you know, normal people don't think about this stuff every day. And when you start rattling off, CFPB, CFTC, OCC, SEC, FD, I mean, it is overwhelming. So I think for many of these fintechs to have a, a kind of a safe door that they can come through. And, you know, sometimes we would take a meeting and we would talk to an innovator. And quite frankly, they were talking to the wrong regulator. But if it meant that I could foster a warm introduction and handoff to the appropriate regulator, that's a huge value add. And it, it both spares the innovator from really scrambling or just giving up altogether. And two, from a regulatory perspective, it's a good thing that people want to talk to the regulator. It means they want to incorporate regulation and compliance into their business models. So why wouldn't you make that easier? Um, so we got a lot of excellent interaction from, from industry. And I will say during my time at Lab CFTC, I think we met with well over 200 entities um, in the span of a few years. So really awesome engagement through the office hours program. Uh, and something that I encourage all regulators to continue building out.
1: I have a question. While sticking on the topic of innovation, uh, does your answer to how how companies should engage with regulators differ if it's a traditional fintech company or like a crypto Web3 company? Because I feel like there's a lot of moving parts in both areas, but if I were a crypto company... I don't know that I would be like as assured that DC and other people like fully understand what I'm trying to do since we're just so early in that space. And even people like us that do work in it, like I don't fully understand what crypto is trying to do. So someone that's trying to keep track of not only that industry, but like tons of other industries, I can only imagine how hard it is to keep up.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's another good question, too. I, I think, well, let me say one thing. I don't think that it really matters the size of the company in terms of whether you should or shouldn't engage with these innovation offices. In fact, I would argue that many very mature and large companies probably don't engage through that door thinking, oh, this is just for the, the little guys. This is just for the startup. And I don't think that's right. So, uh, you know, let me. Uh, well, I'll, I'll explain in a second why that's not right and how you should approach it. Let me start with what you shouldn't do. Whether you're a big company, small <laughs> company, you know, a, an innovation office. That doesn't mean that it's like a carte blanche or like a free class for you to come in and say like, Hey, I'm doing something that is very obviously illegal or problematic or, and this is not like a, Hey, Oh, well you're talking to the friendly guys. And that means you get to do it. And I'll turn a blind eye. Is this from
1: like actual experience? Do people do this? I
0: mean, you, you would, you would, uh, you would be surprised. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, it would, it would be more along the lines of like, you could just tell from the questions you're being asked, like, You know, if if the answer was a very plain and simple, well, if you were to do that activity, you would need to register. And, and you kind of get this response of like well but i mean it, that would be expensive and hard so like do i have to and you're kind of like well i'm not going to tell you that you that you can get away with not doing it of course you need to you know those those kinds of conversations where you know they maybe they weren't getting the answer that they wanted but um but you know where here's what i would advise anybody who's going in to meet with an innovation office there's like two primary reasons that you would do it and the first one Certain, well, both of them apply to big company, small company. The first is if there's actual regulatory ambiguity or tension where you have a good faith basis that you're trying to raise something. You're trying to flag something for the regulator where you say, look, your rules or regulations were written in a time that didn't contemplate this particular technology, this particular model, or this type of innovation So your regulation like kind of doesn't make sense. Like there's ambiguity here. We're not sure how to comply or if we even can comply. I don't care what size or maturity you are as a company. That is really important feedback to be providing to a regulator. And if the innovation office is doing its job right, it should be thoughtfully kind of filtering some of that feedback and then bringing it back within the agency and making sure you're raising it, saying, Hey, we've got people that want to do this the right way, but there's a problem here. There's ambiguity. And whether it's resolving it through guidance or a new rulemaking, something needs to happen. And so that's like a that's a great reason to engage with one of these offices. You know, the other is if you're just really trying, and I think you just raised this in your question, like if you're trying to educate people on the technology, just to understand what's actually happening. Because I, I've I've always been a big believer that, you know PowerPoints are helpful to a certain extent. You can put up on a screen like that my API is doing X, Y, Z, and then my, and my AIML model is doing a certain type of calculation. But until you can help people kind of get their hands on it or really tangibly understand the technology, it's very hard, if not impossible, to make good policy. And so again, I always viewed like our role at CFTC as yes, there was that regulatory ambiguity piece that we were trying to solve for, But there was also just learning the technology and then bringing that back and helping to like support and educate all the key stakeholders within the agency. So, you know, you you talk about crypto, like I ended up teaching about Bitcoin mining, like within the agency, like, what does it mean? Like, what's a, what's a SHA-256 calculator? And I tried to break it down and actually show like what a mining operation looks like. Like, what does it mean to randomly generate a nonce? Like, you can teach that and you have to, I think. In order to make good policy, because if you fundamentally don't understand the technology, it's going to lead to really bad regulatory outcomes.
2: So are you happy that you're not at the CFTC uh, now that NFTs are the new hotness? Or are you sad that you didn't get to explain to the CFTC director uh, what an NFT
0: and a Oh, NFT that's is? a great question. You know, there was so much <laughs> stuff that was kind of coming around the corner uh, when I left a few years ago that, um, you know, yeah, it's always, I do miss a little bit the the purview of the regulator, which is different, right? Like it was an incredible opportunity to be there. And for me... You know, I liked being able to kind of give back to the to to the agency and to try to see if I can help educate, support the operating divisions, like really impact like the internal um, agency itself. Um, so that was a lot of fun, and I liked seeing the world from that perspective. At the same time, I will say, you know, I'm thrilled to be kind of fully back on the private sector side because you see the world from a different vantage point and a different purview. And and look, I I'm a believer. I know in Washington, there's a lot of talk about private sector roles, uh, uh, public sector roles. I think it's so important, though, for people to have vantage points from different perspectives. It makes you better at everything you do. So, you know, when I was a regulator, I could bring my experience in the private sector to bear and say, like, look, I knew from the fintech space that sometimes there's puffery and sometimes there's, you know, a little smoke and mirrors. And I could help suss that out because I had been there. I had seen that. And at the same time... Now that I'm back on the private sector side, it's fun and important to take the view of the regulator and help businesses incorporate that. Like, I'm a big believer that, like, compliance can become a competitive advantage if you infuse it early in the development of the business. So. Yeah, I've I've liked both sides, but certainly, uh, you know, ha- happy to see NFTs from from this side of the of the house. That's
1: job security for John, right there. Compliance <laughs> well, is an advantage.
0: There, it, it is. You see, you're so cool, John. Back to the beginning of this
1: conversation.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let's let's put that job security at risk for a little bit uh, <laughs> uh, for the purposes of this podcast. And let me let me push you on something, Dan, on on the sort of. Um, the dynamic with the innovation offices, because I think one of the senses that we have on the private sector side is, uh, is is an innovation office a dead end for me, right? Ultimately, Mm -hmm. as my company gets bigger, I don't just need to engage with the innovation office, I'm gonna have to engage with supervision or some other part of the agency. And maybe once I get big enough, those are the people who I should be engaging with rather yeah. than the innovation office, right? Because I I, I don't know that innovation is going to make the decision that I need to be successful yeah. in my business. And I think you you touched on that a little bit, right? When you said like bigger companies should be going to the innovation office for these things. But I guess my question for you is, should the innovation offices always exist, right? It, yeah. Do you need a special part of an agency that is about innovation? Or at some point, should that innovation mindset infuse everyone at the agency so that, you know I don't need a filter to yep. be comfortable going to like talk to and then they will tell a version of my story to everyone else at the agency. I can just go directly to any agency and they've got a pro-innovation mindset. Um, and therefore, the innovation offices have sort of innovated themselves out of a job. Yeah. Is that a realistic expectation or is that, so, do so, you always need a special office?
0: So let me unpack that. Uh, on the on the first one, the first question, like it, it, the answer is it depends. And it depends on the success of the innovation office. Like if an innovation office is built where it feels and becomes siloed, where it does not have great touch points to the operating divisions... And if it is not viewed as a resource, as and, and I thought it's I think it's very important internally not to position the innovation office just as a PR champion, but actually helping the day-to-day staff and examiners who have to deal with this stuff on the front lines. Like if you're helping them make their job, make them better at their jobs, more efficient, understand things that they're engaging with, if you can support them appropriately then I think the innovation office remains critically important. And it can't be the sole door. It's not going to be the only. And that that would be silly. Again, like if it becomes this like little little siloed fiefdom, like the point is to break those down because agencies can become very siloed across operating divisions. So a good, effective innovation office builds really strong relationships uh, between and among the operating divisions and continues to support them on a go-forward basis and that kind of answers your second question like does it you know yes in, in in an ideal world if an innovation office can really help infuse a culture of learning and, and an ability to be forward leaning and to engage with tech and understand it that's a huge success for an innovation office but I don't think it goes away because there's always going to be something new and the folks that have to deal with day-to-day oversight and examination they they have a day job i mean they're and it's an it's like a critically important one like they're examining our exchanges, our banks, our broker-dealers, like on a daily basis. And they don't have the time to create a skunkworks team to be, you know, learning about the newfangled technology or what's what's the shiny object today. And you do need folks that think about that stuff, help suss out what's real, what's not, what are emerging risks, what are benefits and opportunities. I think that's a that is a full-time job. So, you know, being very, like, honest in my assessment, I think – it really depends on the success of the entity in being not just externally facing, but having a real internal function where it's helping the operating divisions and realizing, quite frankly, that you're kind of there to support them. Because at the end of the day, that's like the most important function the agency can provide on a day-to-day basis. Um, so so hopefully that answers answers your question.
2: Yeah, no, I I, I think that's great. And I think that is... Uh, critical to hear that that really is what an innovation office should be doing. I I guess, I know we're close to the end of time here, but um, what do you advise companies to do to sort of get that outcome out of an innovation office, right? Because you deal with the full spectrum. Uh, I'm not going to make you name names of who's the best innovation office versus
0: who's the worst one.
1: (laughs) Or we could. uh, But
0: (laughs) if you want to. Oh, my connections getting really sad.
2: But you've got to send companies into that full spectrum of innovation offices. Yeah. So how do you advise them to best get that outcome from that interaction?
0: I think it's going in eyes wide open kind of based on what I just said, which is know what you're going in for. Are you going in to educate about what you're doing? Are you going in because there's some type of regulatory ambiguity? If you know that you're going to be going in for a particular reason, say it's education, you can ask the innovation office, you know, are there going to be folks from some of the operating divisions who will be joining us? You know, who else might be in the room or during the meeting you may conclude with, are there others we should be talking to that you could introduce us to? I mean, there's things like that you can do to ensure that connectivity um, to the other divisions. And look, it's, it's useful to go in, just understanding what, what the advantages are and what some of the limitations might be. But at the end of the day, it, it, it doesn't hurt. It certainly doesn't hurt to, to give it a try. And I also would say this one last thing. You know, a lot of people look at agencies and think that they're a complete, you know, black box, totally hierarchical. You know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's people. And like, these are people who talk to each other. And so an innovation office is going to have staff and leadership who talk to staff and leadership from other divisions like any other organization, some people will work more closely together, some will not. But don't, don't underestimate like, how much actual communication takes place, just like as it happens at all of your companies or within your organizations, it's just people. So you know, I think sometimes we, we might overthink it, and, and I certainly would, would be careful not to underestimate you know, what, what impact you could have through going into one of those offices or programs.
1: Not all those people can be as cool as John, but we hope that I mean, some of them are. Goes <laughs> without
0: saying. All
2: right, I'm. I uh, see that He's we're blushing. definitely you over time. And video, I, I'm, so. I, I, I'm. I'm. I'm done with uh, with this level of dragon right now. Um, oh man! Unless we can get Dan to say in his best Charlton Heston voice,
0: "Agencies are people. Uh, you know, it's people. Um, it's the people. Yeah, I don't know. I've got some accents, but not that one."
1: Uh, Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dan. I really appreciate it. And for anyone that is listening, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Give it five stars on Apple or Spotify, wherever you listen to it. And tune in again next time. Thank you, guys.
2: Thanks so much. Thanks, everyone.